Welcome to the River Rain Show. I'm your host, Catherine Allen, clairvoyant medium and astrologer. Tonight, we will share great music, movie clips, short stories, or quotes, all on our theme of this week. So grab yourself a tea, get yourself comfy and warm, sit back and be soothed by the music, the inspiration, and the introspection. Welcome to the River Rain Show. Turn around 
Welcome to the River Rain Show this evening. So uh, I chose an interesting theme. I think um, we've done this uh, show on this book before, and I got really good feedback and decided to bring it back. So tonight's show is all about a book called The War of Art. Not the art of war, the war of art. And tonight's show is called Do It or Don't Do It. And it's all about overcoming resistance. Resistance is a big part of this book. So is procrastination, which is part of a resistance. And um, it's pretty hard to read this book uh, more than two or three pages before you start to feel compelled to get up and do something. Now, why did I choose this right now? Because we're home. We're quarantined. We're home. We have time to think. We have time to get creative. We have time to challenge ourselves um, in in ways that we haven't been able to probably in a while because we just never stop running in life, do we? So tonight, if you're willing to stick through this show, you might feel a little fire under your behind to get up and create something or to confront something that you have been procrastinating, afraid to do. Uh, putting on the back burner something that you know you really want why are you waiting that's what this whole book is about and uh, a lot of the time he's focused on writers but you can apply this to anything I personally can't read more than a couple of passages before I start to feel ants in my pants and I I just got to get up and and go do something uh, creative or finish up something that I said I would do so If you end up in the middle of this show restless and you've got to go write something, finish a painting, organize something, build something, draw or design something, well, you go right ahead. That's what the show is for. (laughs) Okay. Um, So I'm going to be reading from the book. I'm going to be playing music as usual. 
and I'm going to talk about different aspects of resistance because it means different things. So the opening song there is a resistance in a different way. It was called The Revolution Starts Now by Steve Earle. Sometimes, you know, we label uh, uh, revolutions as the resistance, right? Um, which at lead, could lead to a whole other kind of show um, about conspiracy stuff or not <laughs> um, and what's really going on in the big picture. But I'm not going to go there. I don't necessarily disagree with some of the stuff that, that is put out, but I also don't want to live in that headspace of conspiracy land, and it's not my, it's not my specialty. So... Let's just call it resistance and revolution in, in, a, in a sense that everybody has been forced to slow down and we're having the space and the time for aspects of ourselves and our lives to come back that haven't had any place or room to, re to emerge in a long time. And a lot of that will be scary and for people and a lot of that can be actually really liberating if you are ready to really do some sort of life makeover or overhaul and so when you're doing that um, and you're facing the fact that maybe you feel stuck or you're tired of uh, certain patterns or you miss you miss certain things that you used to love and have time for um, that resistance can be overcoming yourself and your own thinking or fear and figuring out what you can do to bring it back. You know, just, just the, the quarantine time has brought back, well, speak for myself firstly, it's brought me back to the kitchen and to cooking and it's been wonderful, um, because I never stopped liking to cook. It's just that I never felt that I had enough time to calm my myself down and enjoy making a meal. And um, I'm finding that it's great to have, uh, you know, the stockpiling, the not the hoarding, hopefully, but we've all had to think in terms of, well, don't want to go out very often, so I better think, what do I need so that I can make enough meals? So now probably a lot of us have fridges and freezers and pantries full where we normally don't and you can you know you open the fridge or the pantry and you go wow what am I in the mood for what and it's been very creative to and fun and healthy actually and a lot less money to come back to the kitchen so I think this is an amazing good side of what's happening um, another lovely thing that I'm seeing uh, and I'm sure you are too is the kids are home and they're bored. So what are they doing? Well, I'm seeing kids playing games outside uh, in the backyard or across the street. I'm seeing uh, yesterday somebody dressed up in a, in a dinosaur suit and, um, <laughs> and was walking all around the block just to cheer people up. Uh, I've seen sidewalk art, chalk art um, from kids giving messages to people, uh, drawings in the windows, um, and, and just, you know, just kids being kids. Like, man, when did that stop, right? 
I don't know. Honestly, I don't know if you could pinpoint whether it was the 80s or 90s. But kids are overscheduled and running, 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 running to activity or video games or whatever. But all of a sudden, I think it's lovely to see uh, neighborhood kids out and uh, playing with their bikes, their skateboards, running around with swords, you know, today playing, uh, playing tag, <sighs> like not real swords, you get me. But, um, and all the drawing and all the, all the creativity and the, the bonding and family and just downtime, like, you know, and I was walking, um, I had to walk over to my, um, to my workspace to water the plants and I don't want them to die while this is all happening. So, and I saw a neighbor and, you know, now there's time for a neighbor to come out and sit on their balcony and. You know, I'm standing on the other side of the street, but still, we were able to just chit-chat on a balcony or on the sidewalk. So, there's a lot of uh, social bonding that's coming out of this time, too. So, that's a revolution, too, you know? Resistance and revolution doesn't always have to mean taking up arms. It doesn't have to mean anything violent at all. Something revolutionary... Um, just means that it's it's novel or it's pushing against the the main um, grain of society or the societal norm what is the accepted norm so if the accepted norm is to be so busy that you have no time to to uh, to just have downtime relax time to to do something fun creative or bond with people around you then coming back to your kitchen and coming back to your neighbors is a revolution of a different kind. And I'm sure you can think of other aspects that are coming back into your life, things you haven't revisited in so long that are nice. Another thing that just happened here in Quebec anyway, um, not sure from where you're listening, but uh, they closed even the essential services for Sundays to give people a rest. So now the grocery and the pharmacy and stuff were closed on a Sunday. And I thought, wow, that takes me back because um, I remember growing up where Sundays were a sacred day. You know, they were a day of rest. And I remember when the first store announced that they were going to be open on a Sunday. I can't remember which store it was. Um, I should really Google that while I play the... The intro song um, but I'm pretty sure I was somewhere around like grade five or six we're talking about if I'm guessing maybe maybe 1978 980 somewhere in there uh, one or two businesses start opening on Sundays and then after a couple years everybody's open on Sundays forever and and we've just been open open you know every day of the week 24 7 we're supposed to be on um, supposed to be on and um, so we have lost a lot of a lot of things by being so busy and so overscheduled so I think it's great honestly I think this whole time um, of uh, quarantine and the social distancing we have to respect even though that can be hard on people. Sure it is, you know, if you're a hugger um, 
if you're an affectionate person, it's tough. But on the good side, the the flip side of that, though, is think about, especially if you live in a city, um, people are often horrible at at respecting other people's space. And so this is forcing people to be aware of their, their, their own body in time and space in relation to somebody else. They have to not be so oblivious and bumping into people or cutting them off in lines. We have to think about this again. It, it's actually not that bad that we have to step back and respect and be aware of other people. It brings us out of our, you know, selfish little bubble where we just go about whatever we want when we want it. Um, we have to think about our cleanliness. Um, it's not a bad thing if society keeps washing their hands after the after all this is said and done. You know, so we we've lost a lot of things um, because everything's just gone gone so fast and busy, and people, uh, you know, just culturally we've just been maybe our hearts have just been racing, and we haven't felt any downtime, any any processing. Uh, any space to process. Now, if you're willing to look at whatever your inner resistance is about changing your life to another degree, now that you have this slowdown in space, you can really rethink some aspects of your life and lifestyle. And, um, you know, whether you feel restless to get up and create or make something in the middle of this or not, or whether it's uh, a different kind of revolution where you're you're putting you've been putting off something else you need to do on some level. I'm hoping the show is going to inspire you to do that tonight. So before we uh, dive into some of the reading from the book, I want to play you a song of the week. Um, a bit, a bit cheeky or ironic, perhaps, to choose this song. But here you go. Here's the Rolling Stones. Just wait. 
time is on my side by the Rolling Stones. Yeah. Well, time is on our side in a way right now, isn't it? Um, honestly, I've, I've been feeling very grateful for this time. Um, it's forced me, well, forced, yeah. I didn't feel really forced. I felt sort of like, okay, wake up, wake up, wake up call time. When, um, when I realized that we were headed for a period of, uh, quarantine, I said, okay, it's time to start tackling a lot of the backlog. And that has had the form of uh, everything from deep, deep cleaning things to um, starting projects that I had been thinking about for a long time. Just looking at a whole like stack of things in one room, in my uh, creative room. Uh, a shelf that I didn't want to face because it's all full of things that are half half done or half made or um, and it always puts me in a spin about what I still want to do do I want to finish it is it worth it all that stuff um, I, I've tackled a lot of those things while I've been home and I've also been revamping the way I'm working and stuff with social media or things that I offer in terms of courses I've I these things are always on my mind but I never quite had the, the, the grounded, that feeling of being uh, rested and grounded to think it through, to decide, and now I have. So um, before I get going, I, I'll just say that I'm on a new platform called Patreon, and it's a subscription platform, and there's a few things that I offer that are on different levels of engagement, so different you know amounts you can subscribe for and gets you different things. And every week, as some of you know, I, I was giving a tarot reading of the week. Um, now I've decided to be much more in alignment with myself and the way I actually think and work. I'm giving a full moon, which is, the full moon is tomorrow, by the way. Uh, the newsletter came out yesterday, and I gave a full moon reading with the tarot and with the astrology, and I'm going to do that for the new moons and the full moons, as well as... Uh, the vibe of the month and doing that as well and so if you want those or you want the extended versions of those then um, you can subscribe on patreon so it's clairvoyant medium Catherine allen on patreon i'm also teaching online now astrology classes you can jump in anytime you want but if you start now then we're we're right in alignment again with the sun so the sun is in aries which is the first sign of the zodiac and I'm going to be teaching everything about Aries, all the planetary positions, what what it means if your rising sign is an Aries, um, and a lot more in-depth knowledge about the sign than than what I what we usually find online. So you can subscribe to that. And when we're in Taurus, it'll be all about Taurus. And when the sun shifts into Gemini, it'll be learning all about Gemini. So it's all in alignment with the planets. So this kind of thing is my process, you know, but I was struggling with that for quite a while, how to, um, how to refresh my work, how to make something interesting that was also in alignment with, with what I believe, and because it's easy to start thinking you have to give people, um, how do you describe it, like sort of pander to whatever the masses are doing instead of doing your own thing. You can easily get into that trap 
in any field, whether you're a musician and you feel like you always have to play songs that the crowd likes and you're resisting playing, you know, things that you wrote yourself or pulling out a song that most people haven't heard of in a lot, haven't heard in a long time, you know, whether you're writing and you feel like you're writing, you know, in a voice that is for a certain audience and you realize, who am I talking to? I don't, you know, I, this isn't what I want to be saying. I want to be speaking in a different way. You know, if, if there's other nuances to your work where, um, you could alter things slightly so that it's more satisfying for you, that that's another kind of inner kind of revolution that'll, these changes can change, can, can make a big difference in how you feel and your energy level towards your work. And sometimes it's really a small thing, but it, the light, the light bulbs go on and all of a sudden you're excited about what, something that you thought was stale. So it's overcoming this resistance to look at it, to feel it, to, to make the shift. So I'm going to read you, um, couple of quotes from this book and actually I'm going to look through it and see if he gives a longer description of resistance itself one second because I, I have all of my pages marked of the quotes but not not the section ah, there we go resistance defining the enemy <laughs> the first quote is the enemy is a very good teacher. <laughs> it's the Dalai Lama. So resistance is the enemy, okay? And the enemy is a very good teacher. I love that. Okay, so they're all pretty much quotes, not long. Um, all right. This is resistance's greatest hits, okay? So the following is a list, in no particular order, of those activities that most commonly elicit resistance. Number one, the pursuit of any calling in writing, painting, music, film, dance, or any creative art, however marginal or unconventional. Two, the launching of any entrepreneurial venture or enterprise for profit or otherwise. Number three, any diet or health regimen Number four, any program of spiritual advancement. Number five, an, any activity whose aim is tighter abdominals. <laughs> That's funny. Number six, any course or program designed to overcome an unwholesome habit or addiction. Number seven, education of every kind. Resistance greatest hits, number eight. Any act of political, moral, or ethical courage, including the decision, decision to change for the better some unworthy pattern of thought or conduct ourselves. Or conduct in ourselves, sorry. Huh. Number nine, the undertaking of any enterprise or endeavor whose aim is to help others. Hmm. Number ten, any act that entails commitment of the heart. The decision to get married, to have a child to weather a rocky patch in a relationship. Mm -hmm. Number 11, the taking of any principled stand in the face of adversity. In other words, any act that rejects immediate gratification in favor of long-term growth, health, or integrity. 
or expressed another way, any act that derives from a higher nature instead of our lower nature. Any of these will elicit resistance. Very, very interesting, huh? Let me just play you a song and you can ponder what we've just said. And think about where, what area of your life do you have some resistance? Could be anything from that list. I, sh- I sure heard mine with um, tighter, uh, tighter abdominals. <laughs> All right, here we go.
That was called uh, Tin Lover by the Paper Kites. So, hopefully by now you're getting an idea. Something's mulling over on your mind. Something's bothering you that maybe you realize you're resisting. So, what is that thing that you really, really would love to do or accomplish that you know you're not? You haven't even started, maybe. And yet you'll tell everybody, oh, I really want that. Oh, that would be so great if. And you haven't done anything about it. Are you in it? Is anyone out there in that position? I'm sure there's many. So why, why do we do that? You know, why do we do that? Why do you have such a clear idea that you want something? Certain result? Perhaps certain... Um, and then you set yourself up in such a way that you don't start. What is that resistance about, really? Think about it. We're going to continue to read from The War of Art. This is by Stephen Pressfield. And uh, it's funny, on the, on the cover it says, A vital gem, a kick in the ass, Esquire magazine. <laughs> Yeah, this book is definitely a kick in the ass. So, let's continue to read about resistance. So he says, resistance is invisible. Resistance cannot be seen, touched, heard, or smelled, but it can be felt. We experience it as an energy field, radiating from a work and potential. It's a repelling force. It's negative. Its aim is to shove us away, distract us, and prevent us from doing our work. Mm -hmm. So take a second and think about where in your life do you feel that sort of forceful, uh, that sort of that repelling force? Where do you feel like you just want to shove things away? You know, maybe you're looking at something and you're like, oh, I really want this to all be built and done and, and so we can use it. And it's, and then you get overwhelmed by how much work it's going to take, or maybe you can't afford to do it the way you want to, or who knows what level of personal shit is going on in your mind, why you're not going to do it. And then you sort of just pile up all of the stuff or uh, the drawings or the plans or the the research you've done towards building it. A lot of the time, places that we resist become a big pile. You know, they become those dusty, cluttered spaces in the house and in the mind, too. You know, if you always say, oh, I so desperately want to go on this trip or see this place and you've made no plans towards it and you daydream about it and then as soon as you you realize oh, and I really do I really still want that how's that gonna happen and then one thing will come up and trigger you about why it couldn't and you'll shut down and it'll become this murky dusty place in your mind that you you don't revisit the same way or we're not with the clarity because now there's fear attached to it so yeah it's felt 
and it's a negative force and it's an invisible force. Resistance is internal. Resistance seems to come from outside ourselves. We locate it in spouses, bosses, jobs, kids, quote-unquote peripheral opponents, as Pat Riley used to say when he coached the Los Angeles Lakers. Resistance is not a peripheral opponent. Resistance arises from within. It's self-generated and it's self-perpetuated. Resistance is the enemy within. Yeah. So let's once again go to a little music and you can ponder your uh, feelings of resistance or what that might be about for you right now. Here is Jack Johnson. There may be you'd see the signs But Lord knows that this world is cruel And I ain't the Lord, no, I'm just a fool And I love somebody, don't make them love you Must I always be waiting, waiting on you? Must I always be playing, playing your Sing your songs, a dance your dance I gave your friends all a chance Putting up with them wasn't worth never having you Oh, maybe you've been through this before But it's my first time, so please ignore the next few lines Cause they're directed at you I can't always be waiting, waiting on you I can't always be
We typically aim for a particular career because we've been deeply impressed by the exploits of the most accomplished practitioners in the field. We formulate our ambitions by admiring the beautiful structures of the architect tasked with designing the city's new airport, or by following the intrepid trades of the wealthiest Wall Street fund manager, by reading the analyses of the acclaimed literary novelist, or sampling the piquant meals in the restaurant of the prize-winning chef. We form our career plans on the basis of perfection. Then, inspired by the masters, we take our own first steps and the trouble begins. What we have managed to design or make in our first month of trading or write in an early short story or cook for the family is markedly and absurdly beneath the standard that first sparked our ambitions. We, who are so aware of excellence, end up the least able to tolerate mediocrity, which in this case happens to be our own. We become stuck in an uncomfortable paradox. Our ambitions have been ignited by greatness, but everything we know of ourselves points to congenital ineptitude. We have fallen into what we can term the perfectionist trap, defined as a powerful attraction to perfection, shorn of any mature or sufficient understanding of what is actually required to attain it. It isn't primarily our fault. Without in any way revealing this, or even perhaps being aware of it, our media edits out billions of unremarkable lives and years of failure, rejection and frustration, even in those who do achieve, in order to serve us up a daily curated selection of peak career moments, which thereby end up seeming not like the violent exceptions they actually are, but like a norm and baseline of achievement. It starts to appear as though everyone is successful because all those who we happen to hear about really are successes and we have forgotten to imagine the oceans of tears and despair that necessarily surround them. Our perspective is imbalanced because we know our own struggles so well from the inside and yet are exposed to apparently pain-free narratives of achievement on the outside. We cannot forgive ourselves the horrors of our early drafts largely because we have not seen the early drafts of those we admire. We need a saner picture of how many difficulties lie behind everything we would wish to emulate. We should not look, for example, at the masterpieces of art in the museum. We should go to the studio and there see the anguish, wrecked early versions and watermarks on the paper where the artists broke down and wept. We should focus on how long it took the architect before they received their first proper commission. They were over 50. We need to dig out the early stories of the writer who now wins prizes and examine more closely how many failures the entrepreneur had to endure. We need to recognise the legitimate and necessary role of failure, allow ourselves to do things quite imperfectly for a very long time, as a price we cannot avoid paying for an opportunity one day, perhaps in many decades, to do something that others will consider a spontaneous success. I love that segment about perfectionism um, because, yeah, the more our world has been faster paced, 
without any time to nap or cook or run around on the sidewalk. Um, the more we also have this illusion that everybody is just out there succeeding and accomplishing. And there's very little uh, time or focus on the process of things. And that's been going on, escalating over years of time. But I definitely have noticed it. The, you know, people's attention span is way shorter than ever, than it's ever been. And so it creates probably more perfectionism because people are expected to or expecting themselves to just pop out some perfect product. There you go. There it is. Um, as if there's been no effort and people don't have a lot of patience to hear about someone's process anymore. Um, you know, maybe certain talk shows, you'll get into it, uh, certain, certain interviewers will ask people. But most of the time, people are just not, not listening. And yet, if you don't enjoy the process of something and relax on the perfectionism, you're going to create enormous resistance to doing it. I remember um, a guy I was um, living with years, years ago was so good at what he did, but he had worked himself into a state where he basically couldn't do anything because it had to be perfect. And I would tell him like your first attempts to, uh, you know, he would draw really well or sculpt. I said, you're, your first attempts to do this after not doing it for years are not going to be the height of your work. You know, you don't come out of um, procrastinating or avoiding and all of a sudden the first time you put pen to paper, it's the best thing you've ever done. You're going to have to, if you want to overcome and get back in the flow, you're going to have to make peace that the first few things or maybe many things you do are going to be unsatisfying but you're going to get back into the the flow you're going to remember how you're how how to use these pens or markers you're going to you're going to use your hands to sculpt in ways that they haven't moved in a long time you're going to your body will remember these things just like if you haven't played a piano in a long time but you used to know you'll feel stiff and awkward and then eventually little little things will come back to you and you'll remember those little minute motions that that allowed you to play the instrument we need to give ourselves this time and understand that the process how important the process is so that we're not expecting perfection instantly and that's one way that you can get over resistance to try I'm going to read you one more uh, quote from Stephen Pressfield's book The War of Art before we go to commercial break um, so resistance will tell you anything to keep you from doing your work. It will perjure, fabricate, falsify, seduce, bully, and cajole. Resistance will assume any form. It will reason with you like a lawyer or jam a nine millimeter in your face like a stick up man. Resistance has no conscience. It will pledge anything to get a deal and then double-cross you as soon as your back is turned. If you take resistance at its word, 
You deserve everything you get. Resistance is always lying. And always full of shit.
I'm, I'm, I have a problem with procrastination, and I'm supposed to start the show, and I'm not. So uh, this procrastination thing, whenever there's something I'm supposed to do, I'll do anything other than the one thing that I'm supposed to do. And then I feel bad about myself, and then I get depressed, and then I really don't get anything done because I'm depressed. And I told a friend of mine about this problem, and she said, you should go to therapy. And I thought about it, and I thought, well, wait a minute. Why should I pay a stranger to listen to me talk when I can get strangers to pay to listen to me talk? <laughs> So that's when I came up with the idea of touring, and <laughs> I thought, now I have to write a show. So I thought, what do I want to say? What do I want to talk about? So I sat down at my desk, and I was staring at my desk, and I thought, wow, that's dusty. <laughs> I can't write with my desk all dusty like this. So I went downstairs to get a rag, and um, on the way downstairs, my kitten was on the stairway playing with a piece of dust or something. and. Um, and I went to uh, pet the kitten, because they did the thing where they roll on their back and show you the belly, and you got to reward that. You can't pass that up. So I sat down, I was petting the cat for about, I don't know, 45 minutes, something like that. <laughs> and then I went downstairs, and by that time, I'd forgotten why I went downstairs. And I was staring around trying to remember, and I thought, I should paint this room. I wonder what color this is. It looks like a white, but I'm sure there's some fancy name for it. All these people, what kind of job is that to come up with a name for paint colors? You know, all the different color whites, like eggshell or linen or lily or off, all the different ones, you know. <laughs> and then I thought maybe yellow, you know, canary or banana or smoker's teeth, you know, something that would be. I thought I've got to write. So, Maybe if I put music on, it'd be more inspiring. So I went over to the cabinet where I keep all my CDs. You should have seen that thing. <laughs> Total disarray. Just, oh, everything. Meatloaf was next to the cranberries, which <laughs> I thought it'd be funny one night to organize it by food when I was drunk. <laughs> really, nothing else was in there except bread. And, um... <laughs> Just all kinds of weird, like the doors and the carpenters and Nine Inch Nails were together. <laughs> and that doesn't help anything. So um, I thought, I've got to organize this. I can't put this off. And so I'm sitting in the hundreds of CDs, and the phone rang, and it was a friend of mine. And I said, I can't talk. I'm writing. And so <laughs> she said, I can't believe you. You're so disciplined. I have such a problem with procrastination. And I said, well, we should go to lunch and talk about that. So. We went to lunch, and we were talking about procrastination, and the waitress overheard us, and she said, I have a problem with procrastination, too. I said, really? Get my sandwich. And so, but that's when it hit me, that's what I should talk about, procrastination. That's a problem everybody has. That's universal procrastination. And then I said, oh, who am I kidding? I'm never going to get around to writing about procrastination. And so my friend said, that's why I brought this videotape. If you watch this guy, he keeps you focused, he keeps you on track, you'll never procrastinate again. So about a week later, I'll pop in the tape. <laughs> I find that if you don't press play right away, something's on TV. Procrastination. 
Ah, yes. All of us do it. Now, if you're really honest with yourself and you want to get over some of this resistance and stop procrastinating, try to think about what do you procrastinate the most about or for the longest amount of time. Because the one that you have thought about the longest or put off the longest is very likely the one that you want the most, the thing you want the most, and the thing that might, yeah, probably bring up the most, um, well, resistance, but also, you know, the most fear, and all, but also might, might be really the most um, game-changing or rewarding thing you could do for yourself. So what thing have you been procrastinating the longest? I know what it is for me. And I have a pretty good idea why, and yet I still don't do it. Isn't that crazy? And, you know, just to say I'm, I'm talking about this tonight doesn't mean that I've solved the world here, or that I do it all perfectly either. Um, you know, there's... And because I've thought about it a lot, I thought, you know, I'll share this insight with you because the, the thing that I procrastinate the most about is... Um, getting back into like physical fitness and that that will mean you know looking better feeling better losing weight being toned um you know things that I want to wear again that I haven't been able to in ages um you know having more energy to say yes and go do something different activities I haven't touched in a long time maybe and the excitement about a new lifestyle or being at your, you know, your peak fitness or whatever. Sounds really exciting, but I procrastinate all the time about starting. Sort of do some things about it, but not really full throttle. Not like, not like I know how I could do if I want to. And so I, I ask myself all the time why I procrastinate about this. And I know most of it boils down to some sort of fear of the unknown that even though you want something there's no guarantee um, what kind of process it'll take you to get there maybe it'll be not as bad smoother than you thought faster than you thought or maybe it'll be really bloody grueling and harder than you thought um, there's also like every time you change even when it's a good change people around you have a reaction to it right and especially if it's something um, like if you can think of any change that you want to make that would be visible to people so that could be you know that can be a physical change but that could also be um, showing off your talent and not hiding the fact that you're good at something that could be um, you know that that trip that you've been wanting or that upgrade of where you want to live or that could be just anything where it would be visible or more obvious to people as you do it. Well, now you're you're not just dealing with yourself, you're dealing with other people's reactions. And sometimes I think that's where a lot of us get stuck as well. Because you think about a positive change you want to make and then you think, oh Lord, what's so-and-so gonna gonna say if I do that? Or Will people change the way they see me? And will it be a good thing or a bad thing? You know, will people be happy for me or will they be jealous? Um, 
you know, will people um, just see me for this change and not who I really am inside? Like, if I get a promotion, now do they see me as, oh, you're that, you know, that person who has this promotion, so you're so special. And they, they'll relate to you because you have a, maybe more of a status or more income, and then people have all kinds of issues with that, right? They'll either think, well, all kinds of range of things. If you start looking better, well, all of a sudden you attract different attention from different people than you had before. And you're suddenly not invisible. And then other people that liked you the way you were, maybe they're threatened. Or So anytime we make a change, even when it's something we really want, there's a lot of other, other residual changes that go with it, and we don't always know what those will be. And so that's my theory of why we procrastinate and resist change so badly. It's not always the fear of the thing we're not doing. It's often the fear of how people around us will react to it and whether we can handle that response. So, let us go back to this book, The War of Art. All right, I'm just trying to find a good... Resistance never sleeps. All right. Henry Fonda was still throwing up before every stage performance, even when he was 75. In other words, fear doesn't go away. The warrior and the artist lived by the same code of necessity, which dictates that the battle must be fought anew every day. That's an interesting one. Also an interesting fact. Imagine someone as famous as Henry Fonda and was still getting scared before every performance enough to throw up. It's sort of amazing, isn't it? Because you'd, you'd think that with all the success, with the, the Academy Awards, with uh, the years of practice, that he wouldn't go through that, but he did. So I suppose we have to make peace that we will always feel scared as we're making a change and we have to get up and do it anyway. Climbing my way through the sky Searching for answers that I'll never find Losing my breath as I fall Learning to fly, letting go of it all Learning to fly, letting go of it all I've been trying to open my eyes Take it all in as the world passes by Getting lost in the twist and the turn Finding these questions inside me still burn Finding these questions inside me still burn I'm gonna leave Better hold on 
for some kind of sign Trying to hold on in this race against time I can't say where the next bend might be That is the beauty in life's mystery That is the beauty in life's mystery I'm gonna live like tomorrow never do you know when you are on the right path you and what dream okay. belongs to you or what husband belongs to you or what job belongs to you? you? You know you're on the right path. Here's your clue. You're not, be, you're not put in a position to betray yourself. You don't betray yourself anymore. You don't, you're not put in a position where you feel like um, you have to negotiate your sense of integrity, mm. which is an act of betrayal. Your heart, an act of betrayal. Mm -hmm. You don't feel like you have to compromise who you are. Mm -hmm. It feels right. You can fully, I got that. It's like if you're at a job, you know you're really gifted and talented. People are not paying you for what you value yourself to be. You come into work every day feeling like, I'm, I'm really not valued. I'm not being respected for what I do, or my boss is unkind, or whatever the situation right. Right. might be. There's an unease right. with you. That's right. Yeah, and so when you have more respect for yourself, put yourself in a position where you can, you know, feel your sense of value or worth, right. that turns around. That's right. And that's how you know. You know, you know because you don't feel like this isn't costing me my power. This isn't costing me my psyche. This isn't costing me my soul. Okay, this is really good. This, this isn't is, costing this me is my good. sense of, I, I don't feel confused in some deep level. I'm not drained. I, I can be tired after a day's work, but I'm not psychically drained where I feel like I'm losing life. And losing myself. And losing That's myself. That's what a lot of people say, I'm losing, I'm losing myself. losing myself. Okay. Why? Because I'm, I'm betraying myself in some way. What is the difference? Because I have a lot of married friends. I've interviewed a lot of people over the years who are married. And everybody talks about how difficult, how, you know, it's work, a relationship is work, it's work, it's work. What is the difference between betraying yourself and compromising 
because that's what right. you have to do to get along. Let's say that a compromise, mm -hmm. compromise is when you willingly, 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 and out of love, say, you know, all right, a little this, little that, little this, little that. But in a compromise, you don't go away feeling like I betrayed myself. I betrayed myself. I've allowed myself, I've, I've put poison in my mouth mm -hmm. here. Okay, it, it goes back to exactly what you said earlier, uh, that every choice is either gonna enhance your spirit mm -hmm. or it's gonna drain your spirit. Right. So if you have been compromised to the point where you feel drained or depleted, yeah. right. then you've betrayed yourself. You have, I okay. mean, and, I got and the numbers of times someone will say to themselves, I wanna get out of this circumstance, but I'm too af afraid to take care of myself. So I will lie about how happy I am in this marriage. I will, I will put up a front. I will lie about this. But they're betraying everything that's in their heart. They're betraying everything. When they say to me, am I on the right path? Here's what's true. You're on your right path. You're just not managing it that well right now. You're never on the wrong You're path? You're never on the wrong path. You're just not managing it well. You're making choices that are harming you. Uh -huh. And that's why it's hurting right now. You're making unwise choices and your intuition is trying to tell you that. You're making unwise choices including the path that you're on right, right now. And the way you're managing the path you're on and it's harming you. Okay. And when your life path begins to harm you, then we have to sit back and say, you've taken a detour. You know, I just had an aha listening to you. I love it when that happens to me. Um, I've often thought that, uh, and it's because of your use of the word betrayal, I've often thought having experienced being betrayed by uh, a close member of my family years ago, mm. thinking that was the worst, that there's no, nothing worse than being betrayed. And just hearing you talk about it today, I think there's nothing worse than betraying yourself. That the worst, most ultimate betrayal is the betrayal to yourself. You're right. Yeah.
course, Billy Joel with My Life. Um, Such an affirming song, you know. I don't care what you say anymore, it's my life. Sometimes you got to get to that point, right, to overcome your resistance towards whatever it is that you want to accomplish, regardless of what everybody's going to do or say about it. You got to get that warrior spirit on, like the sign of Aries we're in right now. And sometimes you need to have a little bit of like F you in, in your in your, in your your energy field. Like, it's my life. Leave me alone. I'm going to do what I want. You know, uh, that's for those of you who have trouble getting to that headspace. I'm not condoning that for people who are already like that. It's for the people who are nervous what other people are, are you know, how other people are going to react if you make changes or if you're going to let somebody down or disappoint them if you make changes to your life or if you're going to outgrow somebody if you make changes to your life. Those of us who are more sensitive to other people than sometimes to ourselves have a harder time with that kind of attitude. So I used to play that song to help rally me up to, so that I could stay determined toward my own goal and, and uh, overcome the resistance towards my changes from other people. You know, when I first moved to, to where I live now and I started telling people I was going to move out here into the water, oh, you're crazy, you know, <laughs> what are you doing? You're gonna, you're gonna lose, uh, you're gonna lose your business downtown. You're gonna lose this and that, and um, and so I was told all kinds of things um, on both sides of the fence. Some some friends were like, "Do it, don't wait. You're gonna be so happy you did." And others others told me that I was nuts. So whenever you're making a change that's real, you're gonna get resistance. If anything, that's how you know that you're making an actual change. Because if you announce something and nobody reacts to it or seems ruffled or opposed to it, you're probably not really changing that much or they're not taking you seriously. If you announce that you're going to make a change and people do take you seriously and they have a pushback, then chances are you're doing something that's actually going to change you. I wanted to come back to what uh, they were talking about between, that was Caroline Miss and Oprah Winfrey on on her show talking about this aspect where you can sometimes identify when you are betraying yourself and that that's the hardest most painful thing we can do so I would add that whatever it is you want to be doing ask yourself and, and that you're resisting and procrastinating about. Ask yourself, am I actually betraying myself in any way by not doing this for myself? Mm-hmm. Now there's a chunky end of the night question to ask yourself. Let's go back to this book. Resistance is fueled by fear. Resistance has no strength of its own. Every ounce of juice it possesses comes from us. We feed it with power by our fear of it. Master that fear, we conquer resistance. So again, coming back to that need to have sort of a warrior mentality towards changes you want to make. Um, okay, let's read this since we're 
close to the end of the show as well. Resistance is most powerful at the finish line. Odysseus almost got home years before his actual homecoming. Ithaca was in sight, close enough that the sailors could see the smoke of their family's fires on the shore. Odysseus was so certain he was safe, he actually lay down for a snooze. It was then that his men, believing there was a gold, there was gold in an oxhide sack amongst their commander's possessions, snatched this prize and cut it open. The bag contained the adverse winds, which King Aeolus, Aeolus had bottled up for Odysseus when the wanderer had touched earlier at his blessed isle. The winds burst forth now in one mad blow, driving Odysseus' ships back across every league of ocean they had, which such difficulty traversed, making him endure further trials and sufferings before. At last, and alone, he reached home for good. The danger is greatest when the finish line is in sight. At this point, Resistance knows we're about to beat it. It hits the panic button. It marshals one last assault and slams us with everything it's got. The professional must be alert for this counterattack. Be wary at the end. Don't open that bag of wind. Isn't that the truth? Right before you're at the finish line. We sabotage something. That's a pretty cool tune. That's called Lazy by David Byrne. So I'm ending the show a little earlier than usual uh, this evening. I wanted to leave it on an upbeat note for you. Um, with some good questions to ask yourself tonight. First of all, what is it that I really want the most that I've been putting off the longest? Can I develop a warrior-like spirit and go after it, knowing full well resistance is going to come and try to bite me? Can I do it anyway? And lastly, ask yourself, am I betraying myself? in any way if I don't do this thing I've been wanting to do. I'm going to leave you off with one last quote from this book, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. The most pernicious aspect of procrastination is that it becomes a habit. We don't just put off our lives today. We put them off until our deathbed. Never forget, this very moment we can change our lives There never was a moment, and never will be, when we are without the power to alter our destiny. This second, we can turn the tables on resistance. This second, we can sit down and do our work. I leave you off on that note, my friends. Now, go get something done. Have a great week.